Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan in Rockefeller Center, New York City, Newsstand Studios. Join behind me with uh, Joe Hayes and Rocking the Panels. How you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Better now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're starting a little bit, little bit late today because the phones decided to be problematic. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I had to get the phone operator on the phone to reset whatever is going on in somewhere in Connecticut, and it's a. Uh, we're back in live. It's nice to know that there's still an operator somewhere. He drove. He was in the car. He pulled off to the side of the road and reset the server. S- safety first. Pull off. I like that. Uh, joined also, as usual, with uh, John. How you doing? Doing great, thanks. Yeah? Yeah. You're wearing your, your Kent shirt yeah. right, in honor of uh, Chef David Boulay, who passed last week. Yes. Yeah, he died in Kent. He's from Kent, I think. Yeah. 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 Sure, true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sad. Sad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, over there in Vancouver, we got Quinn. How you doing? Vancouver Island, please. Oh, okay, yeah. I know you're a mainland hater. There's nothing you hate more than the mainland. Like you're the oh, opposite. No, I love the main. I love the mainland. I'll tell you why later. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Wow. All right. Okay. I like a secret love of the mainland. Sweet. Uh, down there in, I think you're in California. Jackie Molecules. How you doing? Yes, I am. I'm good. Nice, nice. Uh, and Nastasia the Hammer Lopez in Los Angeles with special West Coast guest, friend, longtime friend, actual friend and friend of the show, Ariel Johnson, repping her new book, Flavorama, which comes out officially, I think, next month. Is that true? Yeah, it comes out March 12th. Yeah, yeah, it's a day before my dad's birthday. How about that? Not related. Happy birthday, Dave's dad. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, I believe, the 13th, which is my dad's birthday. Isn't that also the Ides of March, the big stabbing day, everyone's favorite day of stabbing? Yeah. Is that true? I think it might be. I believe so. Yeah. So are you going to have like a a giant, like, I'm not yet stabbed party on the 12th? Are you going to be in New York City on the 12th when it comes out, or are you going to be in California? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I'll be in New York City uh, I'm, I have some events planned. I don't think they're announced yet, but they will be soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I know we've talked about coming back on the show, so, uh, I'd love to do that. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Just don't stab yeah. me. Just don't come the day. Celebrate. Yeah. Don't. Okay. Yeah. Is well, it- it's the wrong day. So if it was a Wednesday show, then I would have to stab you. But since yeah. it's Tuesday, <laughs> then we're all in the clear. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Sweet. Sweet. I think March is the 15th. Actually. Oh, the 15th. Yeah. Right, well, you know, it's just, oh, it, it's fine. The- that- yeah. I think nowadays, look, it's been a couple thousand years. I think, like, you can have, like, a whole week of stabbing, like a week's festivities of stabbing. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, like uh, oh, how, like, a wedding thing used to be the bride's special day, but now it's, like, a special week. Yeah, a special. The yeah, eye. right. Special oh, my week. God. Weddings. Uh, thank God. Like, I got married so long ago and when I was so young because now, yeah, weddings, like, they last forever now. They last forever. Well, I mean, forever. you at my wedding. Oh, well, you, yeah. And you did it and, the, uh, you, did, you did it the right uh, way. You did it the right way. You didn't, like, you know, turn yourself into a pauper and, like, all of your friends at the same time having to spend a billion dollars to do anything. That was the smart way. No, I think the most expensive part of it was about $30 worth of donuts that we brought. Yeah, the city hall. It was that city was hall nice. I don't know if you remember, remember this, but I forget where we went afterwards. But I had a giant black eye because I had just gotten back from Spain where yeah, I had – yeah. Yeah, I'd run into a glass wall at high speed, and I had a huge black eye and somehow also a giant foam fist. And somebody made me hold my champagne flute in my giant foam fist with my giant black eye. I don't know if there's any photographic yeah, I still evidence. Have a photo of that. Oh, uh, nice. I, I should... Yeah, that should be maybe, you know, we should put that on, the, uh, on our socials. Yeah, I looked awesome. My, my eye has never been quite the same. Maybe that's why I have such bad night vision. Probably not, though. The doctors can't figure it out. Anyway, uh, also uh, in the studio today, we have, uh, you, know, you know, here in the New York studio, special guest, Patreon uh, member, longtime listener, Nick from the net, Nick Webster, also from Toronto. So this is a Canadian mainland. Maybe you and Quinn can get oh, yeah. the, together and talk get about the details this. on that. Yeah, get the deets on his current love of the mainland. How you doing, Nick? Good. Doing well. Yeah. yeah. And the reason you're on the show today is that a couple of weeks ago or maybe a month ago, uh, Joe Hazen was like, you know what I really want? This fancy special marmite so why don't you guys talk about that yeah go ahead go ahead yeah, joe um, 
Um, yeah, well, welcome to the show, Mr. Nick Webster. Thank you. And uh, we've been corresponding via text message after uh, John over here gave me the info. Uh, we put out a red alert to anyone who is over in the UK and coming back to here to the States. And um, we were looking for a, I was looking for a particular Marmite, the Elton John version of Marmite. We did recently an interview with Ann Aslett from the Elton John AIDS Foundation, um, puppy about six months ago. And um, she had told me that this was going on, that Elton John's doing all these special commemorative uh, pieces, and Marmite happens to be one of them. And my wife is British. She is a huge Marmite fan. She is the not a veggie mite fan, but a Marmite fan. And um, Nick was um, kind enough to bring one back. And um, I'm looking at it right here. Maybe Stunning. You can maybe show that over yeah, the so, camera uh, real quick. So what's, what's the – here, Joe, uh, John, you do that. Uh, what's the difference between, like, an Elton John style of Marmite and a regular – and are you an it or an eat? Marmite, Marmite, Marm this. Oh God! Is it like the pan? Is it named after the? Is it named after the the the, the pot? I I don't know. I I think it's Marmite. That's what I've heard, marmite? but I'm not sure. And what does an Elton John Marmite do that a regular one does not do? Limited dish. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's it. So yeah, like uh, I don't know if you know this, but <clears throat> Yellow Brick Road. Queen Elizabeth came out with a ketchup and then died shortly after. You think that's what's <laughs> happening with uh, Elton John here? God, the curse. <laughs> the condiment curse. curse. The condiment curse. Wow. I don't know whether it was uh, the English sparkling wine. You know, with global warming now, the English can make sparkling wine again. And she came out with one of those. I don't know whether it was the sparkling wine or the ketchup that killed her. <laughs> but I'm going to call it the condiment curse. And I'm calling Elton John. He's got a year and a half. Well, it's funny because, like, how many how many final tours has that guy done? Yeah. I mean, There's been a quite a few final tours. One of them's got to be real. He might be dead. It might be. might be. Uh, might be. My, my stepmom's a huge fan. She would be sad. I, I mean, I'd be sad. I like Elton John. Elton John, good. I mean, not my shtick, but like, you know, great musician. Yeah. Good songwriter. Yeah. 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 Talented. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. Uh, hey, Nastasia, you're going to enjoy this. Uh, Nick Webster is into the theater, musical theater? Uh, not so much, but a little bit, yeah. yeah. What, what are you, one of those uh, yeah. like Defoe kind of uh, yeah. off yeah, Broadway <laughs> Defoe people? Like, yeah. No, can, it's like. Uh, it's it's a mix. yeah a mix I'll do whatever well, like experimental like Foreman style stuff like ooh George Foreman good yeah. very good yeah. um a little bit yeah yeah George, that's for Rich, Rich, George Foreman Rich. is the grill guy yeah Richard yeah. Foreman Richard yeah, Foreman is yeah, the experimental yeah, 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 yeah. director and uh, I saw two of his pieces Richard Foreman uh, at La Mama though right that oh, was cool. his theater. And I saw two of his performances. The first one I went to, and I was like, oh, it's my fault that I don't understand. Yeah. And the second one I went to, I was like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And wow, then, yeah. I've been to a Richard Foreman show, too. And what do you, what do you think? I haven't years. What do you think? Same as you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah same, same, same reaction. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But I still think it was me, but I, I'm like, I'm good. It's me. And then I was told I'm, uh, one of my kids was going out, uh, was going to um, school, and one of the parents was a uh, is an experimental theater actor, and she was like, "Yeah, there's like all different kinds of experimental theater, and you just need to keep going to it till you find the kind that you that talks to you." Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Totally. So, what kind do you like to do? Well, I um, I saw actually I saw a play on Saturday. And um, it was a super experimental one-man show. This guy um, chugged three Diet Cokes in the span of, like, 45 seconds. I call that, like, Tuesday. Yeah, that's normal? <laughs> well, it used to be back before I was a seltzer guy. Yeah. I once drank a two-liter bottle of Diet Coke in under two minutes. Wow. Not because it was a bet. I was thirsty. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So you might, you might have found some kinship with this, with this actor. Well, what was, the, what was the artistry behind it? Did it choke them? No. Okay. Didn't choke them. They they just drop the cans like. And hold, well, listen. I think they're listen. When you're when you're pounding something real hard, you need to crush the can before you drop it. Did they crush the can? They uh he um what's it called? Shotgunning. Where, shotgun. Yeah. yeah. So he yeah. did that, and then I think it was sort of it was, it was sort of destroyed. And you said it was a diet coke, correct? Diet. Yeah. It is very foamy. More difficult than a beer. Sprayed over the audience. Yeah. 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 But so like since there is a long history of shotgunning beers in this country. Uh, for those of you that don't know, you uh, you take a key, you uh, turn, you you need a, a a can with a pull tab. You turn the can uh, on its side, and there is an art to it to get the pull tab in the right spot so that you're not uh, looking uncomfortable when you do it. You take your key, 
and you push into the bottom of the can with the key facing it up like it's a flute. You guys with me so far? <laughs> and, uh, you know, make a decent sized hole, but your mouth has to seal around it or it's very gauche to, 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 to drip some. <laughs> very gauche. You then plant your face over the hole, reach over, grab the pull tab, lift your whole face as you pull the tab up, and, and you suck that whole thing in. Then <clears throat> you crush the can. And you throw the can, and it has to all be one motion. Pull, like lift your face, pull tab, beer in, crush can, gone. One motion, preferably before anyone can say anything or think, right? <laughs> and how good you are at it, it depends on how far you've pushed the key down towards the base. Because if you don't push the key all the way down towards the base, there's always a little bit left in the bottom. And then when you throw the can, there's a long line of beer and or Diet Coke between you and where the can ends up, you know, 15, 20 feet away, and that's how you're judged. Bad habit, though. You shouldn't be shotgunning beers. Uh, you really shouldn't. Uh, yeah. So uh, so basically, this was a Diet Coke shotgunning yep. three-minute performance? No. Uh, it was about an hour. Oh, j- um, the how many Diet Cokes did the guy do? Just three oh. in the span of, yeah, in the span of a minute. And then there was lots of spaghetti eating as well. Oh. Microwaved hot spaghetti. Who's, Very strange. Who's that, I wish I could actually remember the name of it. Who's that comedian, who uh, physical comedian that Nastasia Pauly Shore called up, and then we looked him up? Do you remember his name? The guy who just would throw spaghetti in his face? No, no, I don't remember, no. <laughs> yeah, and so he would just sit, put on some sort of pre-Jim Carrey, crazy Jim Carrey face. They would play some sort of, like, semi-offensive fake Italian music, and he would just, like, throw spaghetti <laughs> at his face. Remember this, Stas? We looked it up. Yeah, I know. I don't remember who it is. Mm. All right. So it was a food-based experimental performance involving spaghetti and Diet Coke. Yes. I don't know about spaghetti and Diet Coke as a combo. Red sauce? Red sauce. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Uh, So what do you guys got? Now we're back on the time where we talk about what we've had this past week. I was in Phoenix last week, and I went to a place called Fry Bread House. House? I think it was Fry Bread House, and guess what they make? Fry bread, and then they put like they treat it almost like uh, something to put other things on. So of course we ordered some plain fry bread, and you know, and then fry bread with all kind of different stuff on it. However, also you know, Phoenix is like the Sonoran Desert, so that's where the world's greatest wheat for flour tortillas is grown is in Sonora, and so everybody's flour tortilla not everybody, but the places that where we went specifically for, for flour tortillas had a ridiculous flour tortilla game, just like fresh with butter, right? You just give me the tortilla fresh. With butter and some like mixed corn flour tortillas we had that were also excellent, right? So we went to a place called Horseshoe Cafe that does like a dried beef, uh, machacha I think it's called. That's like – I was like, is it like Cecina, which is the dried beef that I'm used to up here? But it's really much more finely shredded, almost like uh, pork floss, but beef. Oh. Yeah, and dried and then like mixed in with eggs or mixed in with potatoes and then on their like really good game handmade tortillas. And I'm going to go ahead and say good. I'm going to go ahead and say that was good. Uh, But the fry bread house, so we're there for fry bread. I look in the back and there's this uh, person in the back. She's like my age, right? So like, you know, no business standing behind a stove all day long anymore. And I look up and it looks like she's got a tablecloth in her hands, right? And she's going bam, bam, bam with her forearms like that cross. Boom, 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 back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I was like, what the hell is she doing? And she was making giant flour tortillas the old school way with her forearms. These things were like over two feet across, freaking perfect disc. No press, no nothing. And I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, we're getting one of those. You know what I mean? And so, like, that one again, they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, she's making these things. If they had a special name for this format of tortilla, which I forget, started with, like, a CH or something like that. Like, something like chum, chum, chum something. Huge. And I was like, yeah, please, please. You know what I mean? No pins, <laughs> no nothing. And uh, that thing came out with butter. And we were all like, you know what I mean? Like, fresh. Because, like, when they, when they sit around... Not as good, but you know they specifically just brought us one, you know, right off the, right off the, you know, they weren't using a regular Kamal. they were using a, like a standard, I think, griddle flat top. But uh, you know, I think that that's fine. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say fine. Yeah, you know what I mean. Anyway, so good stuff in Phoenix. Nice. Yeah. Good. Although Phoenix is a crap ton bigger than it used to be. Phoenix is freaking huge. So it's like it used to be. 
like it hadn't fully spread out to fill every nook around the center because I was hoping to actually see some desert. And we saw like, you know, the odd saguaro at the airport, uh, you know, at Sky Harbor. But it wasn't like, you know, back in the, you know, 90s when I used to go. And I forgot to ask the uh, bartenders who I was speaking to. I was like, I wonder what the etiquette is of stealing street citrus in Arizona. There is citrus. There is citrus everywhere to be stolen. But what's the etiquette? I know what Nastasia thinks, right, Stas? Yeah, I mean, it's everywhere out here, too. Yeah, and you so, you believe in stealing it, right? I don't think it's stealing it, but okay. Well, you, you believe you're a scrumper. You believe in citrus scrumping. You're, you think it's fine that the citrus is for all. But would you step onto someone's property to scrump their citrus, or does it have to be over the edge of the fence or on the edge of their property? Oh, I don't know. I uh, over the over the fence. What did you and Jack do? We didn't steal anything. I didn't ask. I didn't have time. I was just there for like one day. I didn't even go back to the neighborhood where I know the entire street. Now, when the streets lined with citrus, I'm taking that. I mean, the municipality does sell that citrus for marmalade. Hell with them. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sorry if it's out there on the street. That that's mine. Oh, that's mine. Oh boy, that's mine. Anyway, uh, all right. So uh, what, else, what what do you got? That's that's what I got for the week. What do you guys got? I went to Hearth finally. Oh, in East Village. wow! Delicious. That's an oldie. Yeah, yeah, really, really good. good. Yeah, yeah, strong. Yeah, no, good. they're oh, having a bunch of there, veal. Huh? Yeah, oh. had a bunch of veal specials mm. that were really nice. I got in like half a calf the other week and just a bunch of awesome stuff with it. Had a really good veal porterhouse. So, what, uh, oh, so what? When they say veal, what do they mean? How like how pink was it versus how? It had a little more color to it than, you know, being super pink. Um, but it was just really flavorful, really tender. It was done on the wood grill there, and it was just spot on. Came with some beans and some wilted escarole. Um, Imagine if it wasn't done on that. If they if they're like, here we panned this. Yeah. But yeah, would highly recommend if no one has been there yet. I'm ashamed that it's taken me so long to go. Yeah, well, it's only been there your whole life. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, I, I'm not one to talk. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, what about you guys over there on the other coast? What do you got? Uh, I got uh, something. Should we let the California crew go first? It matters little to me. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, let's pretend it's, it was for celebrating recovering from COVID. But really, on the mainland, uh, in an area called Langley, Outside of Vancouver, there is a farm that was cultivating uh, white Italian truffles. And we were on the waiting list. And last week, we got them. Okay, so uh, do you, what's the name of the place? Uh, below the Oak Farm. Below the Oak. Not below the Oak. Below below the Oak. Below Below, Below, underneath, the underneath the oak farm. All right. And how, yes. how, how were they? Well, I mean, they were really good. I mean, they were between being underground and getting to us like three to four days. Mm. How big are they? So, they were pretty small. We got 84 grams worth. But it was like a bunch of, you know, medium to small. Small guys. Mm-hmm. You need we, so like you need to have them set up a a side by side. You know what I mean. By the way, you want to hear stupid? No offense to them, but like I'm in the airport going to Phoenix, and who you know those new machines that'll sell you anything like cake? They're like, oh, you know, I'm in an airport. I yeah. need a slice of cake. You know what I'm talking about? And yeah. they have a video monitor, and they do it. Urbani truffle. Now, why? What? Yes. Why? First of all, God forbid somebody opens that up on the plane, and we're all like, oh. You know what I mean? Because, like, I told you I was triggered because I had to share a train ride with a decomposing truffle once, and it was a nightmare. And uh, black truffle, though, you know, uh, French. And um, so why would I want – first of all, the number of truffles that come from New York is on the order of zero. So, like, why would I buy in the New York City airport truffles to take on the airplane? It doesn't make any dang sense at all. There's got to be so much waste. Who's who is who is doing that? Urbani. Yeah, they're famous. I mean, who's buying it? Yeah. I don't know. That's my question. 
Urbani, are you making money at this? I'm sure I'm the idiot. <laughs> Usually when I look at something and I'm like, this is stupid, like email. I remember the first time I saw email, I was like, this is stupid. Never going to go anywhere. Usually I'm the idiot. You know what I mean? And I saw it like very, very early because I knew some, you know, hardcore computer freak shows. What do you say, Stas? Oh, no, it's Ariel. E- email is awful and sucks and should not have taken off. But... I know, but it did. It did. <laughs> I, I know. The, everyone sensible chagrin. I was like, I was like, this will never supplant the fax machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe the airport truffle is just for shaving on your airport food before you go. But that's, in, in any event, it's a, I don't want truffle to be any part of my airport experience. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm with you there. Yeah, like my idea of a nightmare, like truffle oil, like like even the amount that's allowed in your toiletry bag would be enough to, to make the entire plane ride a living nightmare. Miserable. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. I am so glad that we are past that point in the culinary world when, like, everyone dumps truffle oil all over everything. Yeah. Little, 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 truffle oil. You know what I mean? Yeah. 100%. I even like, I have relatives who really like the, the cheese with the truffle shavings in it. And, and I can take it, but I'm like, oh man. Nope. Oh man. Yeah. I went to Oregon See, that once. I don't mind. That's, that's, yep. the best, that's the best for me. The cheese is, is better than the oil for me. The little Everything's better than the oil. Yeah, I'm well, not saying it's a. Yeah, what do you say, Ariel? What, what's going on? Who you know, uh, like can't do truffle oil, like probably even more than you can, to the point where like if it comes in something that comes into our house and we throw it away, like we have to take out the trash because the smell is like too much for him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Smart. Smart. Yeah. It's like uh, it, it shouldn't be legal. It's a nightmare. What's the what's the what's the compound of note in the fake truffle oil? I should know that, but I don't know it off the top of my head. Do you know why you don't know it? Because you've blocked it out and you're never going to use it. There's no reason for you to know it. You know what I mean? That's like, oh, exactly. I don't know this but thing that's horrible that I'm never going to use. Good. Yeah. I'm sorry I asked you. Because, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, we, Two boards, I buy a pentane. Ugh. Which is, I will point out, only one of the many aroma compounds in actual white truffles. Uh, so, like, throwing... Artificial white truffle oil over everything is like using like imitation vanilla extract on top of your like fancy dessert. Did you say that the that the uh, base chain was a uh, was an alkane, a pentane? Yeah. Oh, diethylpentane. So oh. um, it's a pentane, but then it's got two uh, sulfur molecules sticking off of it. Ah. So it's a uh, so it's like a, a hydrocarbon with some stinky sulfur stuck to it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh no. Actually, my bad. Um, it's as if it were pentane, so like a linear alkane. But then two of the two of what would be carbons in the chain are actually sulfur molecules. Even more skullduggery, Ariel. It's like carbon, sulfur, carbon, sulfur, carbon. Mm. Nah. No Weird. thanks. Not for me. No thanks. Well, the real ones were great. <laughs> well, you were doing white. You said you're doing white anyway. Like, yeah. Uh, ha- you remember when I went to Oregon and I had those Oregon truffles, Nastasia, with uh, Judy Ann Wu? Yeah. And McGee and all that? Yeah. So, like, they were repping those. And the problem with those is I think they're very good, the Oregon truffles, but they're not the same. So, like, I think the, the issue is I think that they deserve to exist, but they're not, you know what I mean? They're, you're not going to spend $8 billion to have one shaved over your eggs. You know what I'm saying? By the way, have we already done this? Have we already gone over our scrambled egg feelings before? No. No. Let's do mm, it. All right, let's do it. I like, I like, I appreciate all scrambled eggs. I like the American style where some of it's under and some of it's over, kind of like big messed up curds. Who here likes a really hard scrambled? Who likes like what, like what I like and who likes the tiny, constantly stirred French style? I oh mean, my God, John! <laughs> it's not my favorite, but I do really enjoy it. But I do prefer softer style scrambled yeah. eggs. Yeah. And what are you saying, Quinn? Yeah, I go, I go softer style. Also, they're like ridiculously tiny curds. Although, again, uh, depending on who's working with me, I usually go for 
a French omelet. Give them beaten eggs anyway. Yeah. I like it when there's a little bit of the weird white left over, so I get that textural difference. Know what I mean? A little bit, like maybe a little bit of browning on somewhere to hit the pan too hot. That's my jam. <laughs> I, like, I like the browning. I mean, I, I, I kind of, I know, like, not, not like tiny, tiny curds, but like soft, you know, fancy stuff, or like, mm-hmm. so cooked, it's almost going to split, but it doesn't. Uh, mm, mm. What, like what, what are your feelings or, on, uh, what'd you say, Stas? I, <laughs> not to me, Bill oh. Ariel. talking about it. Uh. Yeah. I like it hard. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like it hard. I like that. Uh what about with hard boiled eggs? Do you like do you do you guys like your poached eggs like super runny? Are you more like sixty three folks, sixty two folks, if you remember what those are like? As long as the white is cooked, I'm happy with all poached eggs. So you don't like a yeah, you don't like a snotty white. You're an anti snotty yeah, white. I, I don't I don't I don't like a sous vide unbeaten egg. A sous vide unbeaten egg. Like if you just throw a whole egg in a sous vide, I do not like the texture results that you usually get. Mm, I love that. So easy. Although, <laughs> na- although now, like what I typically do, uh, you know, because I'm not holding eggs for a long time anymore. So like when I learned, I don't know how many years ago, when I learned that you could just crack all of your eggs into a bowl and just dump them in one big fell swoop into the water and that they don't stick together. When I learned that, I was like, oh, yeah. Hell, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Ten eggs. Shboom. Sheboygan. Done. You know what I mean? But that's only no. when you're doing them, you know, and you, you're going to serve them all at the same time. Also, I'll say this. When I make shak 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 shuka. When I make that, which I make shak shuka, when I make that quite often, I don't put the egg into the tomato goop. I poach the eggs and serve them on the side because please, people, please, unless you're serving individual shakshukas. Uh, me, 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 me. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am, Quinn. Yes, I am. Uh, I, I disagree. I feel like there's, like, you can disagree all you want. Sort of, you're liminal space where like, the egg white is mixing with some of the tomato. Okay, you're yeah. allowed to have your own incorrect opinion. You know what I mean? Like, that's fine. What? All I'm saying is, is that whenever... I'm guessing you haven't tried it. Okay. So, uh, everyone that I've ever served it to, because I have cooked it both ways, is like, oh my god, this is so refreshing, because I can have as much egg and as much shakshuka as I want, and I get to portion it the way that I want to. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's a delicious dish of dressed poached eggs. <laughs> What? So how demented are you that you think the egg is the primary part of the shaksuka? The egg is a sauce for the tomato, my friend. Well, Dave, I think that it. I think that it's maybe like a cultural thing where they had to cook the eggs in the thing for certain reasons. You know, like they didn't have to. Like I think there's culture in there, not just the flavor part of it. What's the culture? And by the way, I know that Quinn is really deeply steeped in that Israeli culture. So. <laughs> I don't know what the culture is, but I imagine that the eggs had to be cooked in the in Why? the sauce for a reason. What do you mean? Like what? I'm at- Maybe there was only one pot. I don't know. Right. But like, you know. One pot cooking. Well, you know, thankfully I progressed past having just one pot. And by the way, I have served it to people who are Israeli. They enjoy oh. it. Just saying. Give it a shot before you knock it. That's all I'm saying. And definitely... If you're going to have leftovers, it's the way to go. I also don't serve it at breakfast, so I'm already not traditional. I like to eat it at dinner no, time. No. There you go. Uh, I don't like to eat it ever. You don't like yeah. it? No. Nope. Come on, Ariel. Ariel, Ariel. Come on. Come on. What? Oh, well, apparently, that does not originate from Israel, but rather uh, Ottoman era North Africa. Yep. So. Okay. Okay, if you're going to go back and read Clifford Wright's book on Mediterranean cuisine, the entire cuisine of the Mediterranean shares a lot of things, right? Correct? So that entire area has similar cultural food background. Now, I get it through... I get it through Israel, not through North Africa. Where it originated? North Africa. To me, they're all part of the same font of culinary ideas. Culinary ideas, 
right? So it doesn't really matter to me. First of all, it matters to me where, like, where the taste referent for me comes from because that's how I'm getting it, right? And it matters to the people who feel culturally connected to it where it comes from, obviously. But the point being, none of us, none of us who are speaking at this time have any sort of entree into that at all. So, you know, talking on th- any of us talking about quote-unquote authenticity is preposterous. That's all I'm saying. And it's delicious when the eggs are cooked separately. That's all. I don't know. Maybe, I'm, maybe I'm wrong. As I said, I'm often wrong. Look at email. Wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> what was the other thing I was wrong with? Oh, yeah, truffles in airports. Apparently, truffles in airports is the next big thing. It's you thought email. You know what is this thing that's taking off right now is this cotton candy fad. Those cotton candy cakes, mm. which is just like different colored mm. cotton candies put into these cake things. I was in K-Town the other day. There's a customizable cotton candy thing with like a digital screen. The line was bananas long. I uh, couldn't believe that people were don't like that. don't like. Yeah, no. I like cotton candy Is machines. Thing? I like cotton candy I don't machines. Know, Jack. I like Weird. candy mm-hmm. floss. But candy floss, yeah, I know candy floss. Yeah, but was is there any has any have any of you ever been like you know what I wish that piece of cotton candy I got was bigger? <laughs> uh, no, no, right. How do you Never. feel about your grapes tasting like can- cotton candy? I was going to ask. What do you think about the cotton candy grapes? I think they're delicious. Mm. Yeah? You like them? I, I do. Like, I like a little more acidity in my grape. But I I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say like I can go from year round. When they come around in the season, I'll do it, and then I move on. Speaking of speaking of Mediterranean and fruit and flavor, uh, from Vengroff we have in, I saw these raspberry... Uh, raspberry oranges, which are some new sort of blood orange that has been trademarked by someone out of California, I think. Uh, you guys tried that? Anyone? Anyone? Uh, he, well, it was a drink, right? Or were they oranges? They're oranges. I saw yeah. these in my local grocery store. I bought one and tasted it. Not especially outstanding blood orange. Is it just a branding exercise? Could be. I mean, the, the, the issue also is, is that a lot of times when you buy them, I know it just says grocery store. I know Trader Joe's has had them. I've never had them. And Trader Joe's loves to buy things right before they expire and then put them out. And I've sp- spoken to, uh, I forget his name, Nastasia, not Carp, but that other citrus scientist we spoke to that day who told us that not the day that we were at Gene Lester's farm, but remember that day we were talking with McGee with a citrus scientist and we were talking that we liked mandarins and clementines and he was like you guys are idiots because you've never tasted one off the tree and the minute they go into the supply chain they've been ruined and that's why you guys don't even know what a mandarin is do you remember this conversation she had to step out but i'm sure she does oh all right i've had that mandarin experience yeah yeah we're off the tree yeah it's like completely different i was shocked and i didn't know that was the reason i just thought it was a good tree or yeah, a good no, mandarin. different better different work different good different good it was so good it was like wow well, Gene Lester, who's dead, uh, you know, he was like, an orange is an orange and nobody cares. You know, that was his <laughs> thing. But he's like, mandarins are like, you know, each one is special. You know, every mandarin is sacred or whatever from that movie. But, um, yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Ariel, did you have anything uh, food related on your, uh, you know, your way up to releasing the book? You have a special food uh, thing every week while you're waiting for the book to come out? Well, this this weekend actually we uh, we bought a tortier from M Wells in Long Island City, um, which is a Quebecois meat pie that we are both big fans of. So we ate a uh, a big a big tortier on uh, Saturday and Sunday. It was great. So uh, describe this format of meat pie. Uh, it's like got a very flaky crust, and then it's sort of. Do you of say flaky like, or leaky? Flaky. 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 All right. <laughs> and then the meat, I mean, it's not like gelled like a, like a Melton Mowbray pork pie where it's like a solid block of meat. It's mm. sort of like relatively loose, like very cooked down uh, pieces of pork. So it's got some ground pork. I think some like onion and potato kind of binding it together, but it's very loosely bound. Saucy? Um, so, so not blocky? Saucy or not saucy? No, not saucy. But not blocky either. No, just like nice, soft meat. Do you know who, totally different because it's saucy, do you know who makes a delicious chicken pot pie? 
my sister-in-law, Miley, who, you know, runs the Hearst uh, family of, like, you know, pioneer woman and food. Her pot pie is ridiculously good. I love really good pot pie. Pot pie is so good. Pot pie is so good. So, uh, but we're not talking about pot pie. So, uh, Nick Webster here is from Toronto. What do you think about the Quebecois and their meat pies? Love it. Yeah? Really good. So you're not, like, you know, anti them because you're from the English-speaking <laughs> town next door? No, because they have all of our, like, food culture. Uh, like, they've got, like, the poutine and the and the tortier and all that stuff. So you feel you feel more attached to the East Coast stuff than your kind of Great Lakes culture in Toronto? Yeah. You're not a pea meal bacon man? Oh, huge pea meal bacon, for sure. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. That's so a good sandwich. Good. Yeah, yeah, great sandwich. Yeah. yeah. Hard to find here, actually. You know why? Because we don't respect it. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've said this many times on, the, on this airway before, but we have such a disrespect for that product because what is sold as Canadian bacon here is second-rate pork roll. It's just trash. So weird. Yeah. Garbage. Yeah. Compared to the real thing. Well, and like, yeah. If you go to any grocery store, for example, in England, you can get like regular or like belly bacon and back bacon. And so I think like, you know, this American style of like there is one bacon and everything else is garbage is silly. Well, it is true. Like the old, old school, like if you read the old bacon references from uh, English bacon references from like the early 1900s, late 1800s, like the bacon, and I think maybe still to this day, refers to the entire cured side of uh, pork, right? So you can get like Wiltshire, like different cures, but like on the whole side. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, Ariel, uh, we got a question in for you. Uh, since you're joining again, uh, this is from Alexander, who I believe you a- answered one of their questions before. I thought I would update on the situation. Uh, first of all, tried adding lactic acid to some mousy uh, kefir water. So they had asked about uh, mousiness, I guess, the last time you were on. And it did actually reduce the off flavor a lot, but not removed it. And uh, I also now know why I thought uh, Pondon smelled mousy. Having encountered it after mousy wine, I can't say enjoy it. Uh, and then mentions that they uh, worked in Denmark uh, at a restaurant and they added glug to, I mean, uh, Akavi to their glug, which of course you would because it's delicious. It's delicious. Uh, yeah. That's- yeah. They, all, they work in a vegan restaurant and they say that it's difficult because uh, apparently everything Danish has an ungodly amount of pork. The Danes grow decent pork. And... I, I don't know if we discussed it when you were on Ariel, but I love that. I love that scored pork, that pre-scored pork. Oh my god! Fleskestai. What? <laughs> it's called fleskestai. Yeah, that's good stuff, huh? I mean, like their language is yeah. absurd, but their pork is good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, no it's, offense, it's Denmark. It's like, but I can say fleskestai. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, Alexander's pro- what? For him, pork liver pate, liver postai. Not a fan. No. What are what are your thoughts on uh, standard like liver sausages like Leberwurst and Leberkäse? You know, I'm not sure I've ever had a good one, so I wouldn't want to weigh in. But I, love I mean, that. I also haven't had a good Leberwurst diet, but I've had what I have been told is a typically good one, and I do not like it. Oh so. my god, Liverwurst on rye with mustard. <laughs> so good, so with good. Mustard. That's an essential component of the uh, of the dish, I think. What the rye or the mustard? The mustard. Yeah, I mean mustard is such an essential component of many things, on account of its being great. You know what I mean? It's right. Like, but there's like not, not a lot of mustard in Danish cuisine, weirdly, for the amount of like liver that they eat. That is weird. Also, for a Northern European place, you'd think they'd be all about that mustard. They really they like very sweet remoulade sauce. I mean, they have mustard, but it's just not as like. Not as much as you see in Germany. Do they have that ridiculous high-strength uh, vinegar like the Swedes and the Germans have? Oh, like a 30% uh, or like a 10% acid? Yeah. yeah, but they use it for food usually. They what? They use it for like preserving things, like making pickles. It's like pickle vinegar. You don't like use it on food like directly. Yeah, yeah I keep... I keep, always keep some around for when I need to boost the acidity, but I don't want to add a lot of liquid. You know what I mean? Why don't you just buy glacial acetic acid? Uh, I'll tell you why. Because I did that once, and it was a freaking nightmare. <laughs> it was a freaking nightmare. You spill it on the floor, and it etches through your concrete. It's just a freaking nightmare. I am done with, like, crazy dangerous chemicals. Like, I told you last time I bought um, uh, lye, 
and I made a solution. I thought I had gotten good enough bottles, and it ate through the bottles and started leaking all over the floor. I was like, what the hell is it? I have such bad luck with, you know, food-adjacent chemicals in my in my uh, pantry. Now the, the hardest core stuff I, I carry is um, I won't carry vinegar over 25%, and I won't carry – I carry lactic acid at, at 88, and I carry – which is nothing. So no problem. And phosphoric acid at 85, and, you know, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, that's – What? That seems sensible. Yeah. I'll tell you another one you don't want to mess around with is, oh, my God, I got uh, – I, I forget why I gotten sulfuric acid, but I had sulfuric acid in the in my house, nightmare, and, and like, high-grade, like, you know, muriatic, like HCL because I was doing experiments. And just – it's, like, so hard to get rid of it in your house when you're in an apartment. You know what I mean? It's just so hard to get rid of that crap, and you just don't want it around, yeah. you know? Uh, I just don't recommend it. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. No, not, not an apartment, definitely. No, no. No fume hoods, no nothing, splash hazards, dogs around. Please. You know what I mean? I mean, my kids aren't going to uh, do anything anymore. But I was even nervous having that geosman at my house because I was worried that, you know, Dax would knock it over one night and my house would smell like a dirt f- farm for like 8 million years. You know what I'm saying? Hell it does. Yeah, I mean, I think. You're going to get in the habit of storing like chemicals in your dwelling space. You should get a chemical cabinet like we have in a lab. Do you have one in your house? That'd be sick. I don't know. I don't have one in my house, but I have a much smaller apartment than you. Think. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, all right. So uh, Alexander has a TCA cork taint problem. Problem is uh, they seem to be overly sensitive to sensitive to it. Uh, and find it way more often than they should, according to how often people state is an issue in wines. And it's to the level of problem where some of their suppliers doubt them when they want to return the bottles. I am certain that they do contain TCA, though, or at least uh, similar off flavors, as every time we have been unsure, I have tested it blind, triangle test, and uh, picked them out. How can this be? Is it uh, TCA uh, uh, more common than was commonly believed? I also still don't understand what causes it and struggle to find good information as the Wikipedia on it. Uh, sucks, and uh, most scientific articles are paywalled. Can you explain a bit about TCA, what causes it, and why we can't detect it before we open the wine if it is in the cork to begin with? Yes, I can. Um, TCA is trichloroanethyl. Uh, it's an organic compound um, that is called, well, it's responsible for cork tank because it's found in cork. And it smells like a musty basement, basically. Like a little bit like a little moldy, but more musty than moldy, but kind of like pervasive in a way that uh, musty doesn't necessarily like convey the, you know, extremity of. Um, so it is famously one of the compounds that we have like a very, very, very low threshold for, for detecting it by smell, um, like parts per trillion. I think, like low parts per trillion, basically. Um, similar to geosmin, probably even lower than geosmin. So, like, this is a problem in the wine industry because, like, it's in corks and it's almost until recently impossible to detect instrumentally um, at the ranges where it still has a sensory effect. So, you can have a cork that you, you know, using conventional gas chromatography gas spectrometry, you like can't detect anything, but there's enough there for you to smell it. Um, so trichloroanethyl is formed when uh, by, like a combination of like fungal contamination and using chlorinated uh, cleaning materials. So like, like you know, mold, molds and other fungi in the cork, excuse me, will form, um, you know, Anisoles, which are, I mean, if you look at the molecule, it's, uh, if you look at the molecule and compare it to what you know lignin looks like, um, which I'm sure you all do, basically, uh, it's, it's like you broke off a little tiny, tiny, tiny piece of the substructure of woody material um, and then uh, doused some chlorine on it. So it's a combination of, like, fungal agents and then, uh, you know, chlorine sanitizers. I mean, it's kind of like a... Uh, 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 was it pyric? Anyway, it's ironic because you'd use, uh, you know, chlorine-containing cleaning agents to try to clean up some of these, like, fungal contaminations, but it actually makes it worse. Um, yeah, but if, so they know, are, if they know that, why don't they use non-chlorine sanitizers? Durr. Well, they do. There, there's a lot of places that use, like, steam 
and oxidizer-based ones, I believe. I don't know why everyone doesn't do that. Um, I do know that, uh, I believe it's cork supply in uh, Martinez or around Martinez, California. Um, it, well, so I went to UC Davis for grad school, um, and the uh, I was in an analytical chemistry lab, and one of the other projects I wasn't working on this was, like, getting better at detecting trichloroanisole. PCA, quartzate. Um, so what I have to do is use, instead of like a regular mass spectrometer, you have to use what's called a like tandem quadrupole mass spectrometer where you like smash up the molecules and then like filter out only some of the pieces and then smash them again. And then it's, so it's like a, basically it like lowers the noise baseline super low. So like little, little amounts of things that you're looking for like pop up out of the baseline. You can detect them at, you know, much, much lower concentrations. Um, so I know that there are some places, Cork Supply was one of the ones that we talked to, we actually visited them, that does like QAQC, like quality control, where they're taking, doing like mass spectrometry on, uh, you know, lots of corks, but... Yeah, but unfortunately no. on the wine bottle doesn't say, we use the non-stinky ones. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it costs more, you know, by, yeah. by definition. Yeah. Doing all this analysis. Um, but, yeah, no, it's kind of a combination of, like, sanitation handling and quality control. But it's barely detectable by regular instrumentation in a cork, let alone, like, while the bottle is sealed. Yeah, well, sorry, Alexander, that you have better than regular instrumentation on your face to uh, detect the uh, the taint. Um Rick Viola and Nathan Brand have similar questions. It must be a vacuum sealing kind of day. I don't know. Uh, wanting to buy, Rick says, wanting to buy a vacuum chamber uh, sealer, uh, wanting thoughts on brands and things to look out for. Uh, and Nathan Brand uh, says, I am also ready to buy a vacuum sealer. Looking for a large unit. We lease a 12-inch seal bar. Hoping to seal large pieces of wild game. So the biggest countertop unit is what I'm looking for. Thanks. Uh, thanks, CI crew. You're the best. Okay, so of the brands I've used, I've used uh, professionally. I've used uh, Burkles, Multivax, Mini Packs. Uh, I've also used Food Saver Savers, and at home I've used uh, the Anova. Um, I don't know whether you guys have used any other ones professionally. Just other, the Burkle. Just the Burkle. Yeah. A while ago too. Uh, the analog or the uh, I used one of the old analog Burkles. Yeah, I think I did too. I mean, listen, so for ten years, if you're going to buy a chamber sealer, right? Especially Nathan here with the with having to seal big games. It's not just the length of your seal bar that matters, although that is important. It is the size of the chamber itself. So, uh, and they vary wi wildly, right? So you need to open up your machine. So I like I happen to like the mini packs because they have a really t a tall dome. Uh, on their on their on their chambers, and but you have to like remove everything out, and then imagine smashing your food into has to all fit in that chamber, right? So uh, I've seen machines with very shallow chambers that can't, uh, you know, even the seal bar is wide enough to do what you want. It's still not big enough to hold what you want. Now, if you buy like food saver style bags, you can actually use a food saver bag in a chamber vacuum machine backwards. So in fact, just to make sure that that's still the case, I did one this morning. So you take the seal bar, you remove it, you flip it 180 degrees so that the seal section is facing out of the machine instead of the cutting part of the seal bar. And you can suck a vacuum as though you were a food saver on a chamber machine. And we used to use the food savers at the French Culinary to do like 36-inch stripers. By the way, if you're going to try to do a whole striper in a bag, it's a one-way situation because uh, even if you clip the fins on a striper, like if you – you can push it into the bag because the fins will fold flat. But as soon as you pull the fish the other way, it will shred the bag. And in fact, I once bought uh, a pair of uh, silicone uh, gloves that were meant to for frying. They're like, these are so good you could put them in a fry thing. And I went in to get a whole striped bass out of a deep fryer with it, and it cut right through the glove. The fin cut right through the glove. Luckily, it was on the way out of the oil, and I only got marginally horrifically burned, not major horrifically burned. And I was like, you know what? Don't work. They don't work. Nope. Nope. 
does not work. Uh, anyway, so uh, I would look at the chamber size. The other thing is, is that don't believe the size of the seal bar because uh, if you look at most seal bars, I'm sure there are some seal bars that work edge to edge, but uh, the way the seal bars work is there's a thin resistance wire uh, and a, a band, right? So one for the part that seals the flat thing and one for the part that makes the cut. And then that's wrapped over a metal bar, and then over that is a Teflon tape that stops it from sticking to your bag. And towards the end, where the wire is about to bend down, nine times out of ten, it bulges up a little bit, and that section will actually mess up your bags. So uh, I never trust the end sections of my bars, uh, just a FYI. And also, if you're new to the bagging game... Um, Check every single bag because until you get good at it, you aren't good at it, and a large percentage of your bags will fail, either because you got a piece of pepper in where the seal was going to be, or you didn't take the time to flatten the bag on your seal bar, and it's a little bit off kilter, and you'll get a little pipe of uh, air area that uh, causes it to not seal. Eventually, those failures will get down to almost nothing, but at the beginning, they're going to be quite high. So, And I'm not talking about the beginning for like a day. I'm talking for a long time. Uh, so there's that. Um, I really like my mini pack. Uh, you know, I always thought multivac was overpriced. Um, you know, I don't know what else to say. I, I, look, the real question is, is are you going to invest in a machine that has uh, an oil-based vacuum pump or not? The oil-based vacuum pump, the, the reason they ma machines cost so much is that the chambers are built out of really beefy stainless steel, uh, really thick plastic tops, and then have a very expensive vacuum pump in them. Um, I mean, I don't know, was, this, was any of this helpful for choosing? Uh, I think that was good. Yeah. I mean, well, anyway. Um, I've never used the VacMaster, the mid-range ones that are uh, put out to hunters, but some people like them, but they, they don't have the oil pumps. I really, really like an oil pump. Uh, the APO the, is a nice machine. It's got a very small chamber size, uh, but it's a very small machine. It also doesn't have an oil-based vacuum pump in it. My problem with it is, uh, and I think I said this on air, I tried getting a hold of them, is that it's not software upgradable. And the one that I have, uh, <clears throat> when you hit stop, it doesn't seal before it stops. And to me, that is a – that's unusable because most of the time I set the machine to run as long as it can run so I can suck a deep vacuum and then I manually stop it when I'm going. Oh, one last thing. Uh, consider getting a machine with – if you have the money – with two seal bars. This way, when you're doing small packages, you can seal twice as many per cycle. Uh, everyone's like, I'm worried that the second seal bar is going to take up so much room in my vacuum machine. Wrong, because you can remove that other seal bar if you're not using it. Don't be a dunce. Get two seal bars if you can afford it. You can now pack twice as fast. Uh, okay. Simon B. says, when making a grilled cheese sandwich, what do you think are the pros and cons of using butter versus mayonnaise on the outside surfaces of the bread? Thoughts? I mean, I've used both. I like them both. I prefer mayo. You prefer mayo? Why? Because no. you like to sprinkle cheese and fricotize the outside of it, or no? No, I just I like the like the salty, kind of like oily taste that it brings to it. Just a little tang too. It's also like, it. like you can spread it on and get it really even. Yeah, I don't think it gets as crispy as butter, but I still enjoy it a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I like them both. I use them both. What yeah. el who, what else has anyone else got? Anyone else uh, going to want to weigh in on the butter versus mayo situation? <laughs> I, I, I'm more of a butter guy, but I also use, like, just a very small, uh, like, a little sandwich press. Okay, but, I, so, but, like, do you think that cheese. that makes it, does that affect whether the butter or the mayonnaise, the fact that you have a press or what? Well, I mean, I feel like if you're doing it in a pan, it makes sense to, like, drop butter in the pan, whereas with a press, I don't know. But you had just said that you like butter but have a press. Yeah, so I'm saying I think you sort of you you could you could waste butter doing it in a pan, whereas the press makes it a little more contained. Right, when I'm doing a lot, I brush the butter typically on the bread so that I don't have anything. And then when I'm doing it at home, obviously I just throw a big old hunk of butter in if I'm doing butter, and then just move the bread around to sop it all up. Um, but mm -hmm. I mean, look, I see. I think they're both valid and good. I think they're both valid and good. I think mayonnaise is definitely better if you do want to freakolate it, though, because then you can sprinkle the cheese. It sticks to the mayonnaise, 
and then you can move it and flop it down and it's and it's good to go. I mean, I mean, mayonnaise, I think like in the past, look, when I was a kid, nobody used mayonnaise as a, uh, as a, um, nobody used mayonnaise as a coating for frying things. And I think, you know, recently people are like, oh, mayonnaise is oil that stays in one place. You know what I mean? So, you know, in that way, I think it's, uh, it's good. I mean, like, you know, I love mayonnaise on grilled fish. You know what I mean? Mayonnaise on grilled fish, money all day long. Uh, all right. Uh, math, math, math writes in, I loved reading The Kitchen as Laboratory recently. For those of you that don't know or haven't used the Wayback Machine, that's Cesar Vega's book from uh, 20-something, like 11, 13, that had a bunch of people, also, I think. What? I have a chapter in that. Oh, yeah? What was your chapter? Yeah. Uh, it's about uh, Salaf Dunderma, the Turkish stretchy ice cream. Oh, you wrote the stretchy ice cream uh, uh, chapter? Nice. Nice. I like Salaf. Yeah, strong. All right. Uh, I don't actually own a copy of the book, but uh, yeah. So anyway, so Math Math liked it. And uh, are there similar books that you can recommend? Nothing. Well, I mean, the classic book, The Crackling is Superb from the early 80s, which kind of like kicked off the conversation about... uh, or the modern conversation about, like, we should do science on cooking. Yeah, yeah. Not a good book, though. <laughs> I mean, just isn't. You know what I mean? Like, I read it being like, it, it's like, if you need to have a, an historically complete record of post-World War II science as uh, science in cooking and Nicholas Curti is your jam, then, yeah, get the crackling is superb. The recipes are not superb. Like you're not getting you're not getting a lot of knowledge out of it. I don't think, especially if you already own like you know you know McGee's book or you know your upcoming yeah. book. I mean, really, what they should be buying is this book I've heard Flavorama. of called Flavorama. Yeah, I've heard it's going to be out in March, and maybe they should get that book. That might be helpful for them. For pre-order on Amazon, um, what number is it? It was actually number one in new releases in food science uh, yesterday. Sweet, so, sweet. Yeah. Amazon bestseller. I like that. I like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I would go ahead and get that book. Uh, um, I would get an old copy of The Curious Cook. I would get um, – what else? What other books? Nothing. Nothing. Well, while, you, while you're thinking, I'll read the second half of Math Math's uh, question. Have you, i.e. any of us, uh, tried sous vide uh, caramelized onions? Harold McGee wrote an article on his blog circa 2014 uh, where you're caramelizing uh, sugar in sous vide over one to two days at 93 Celsius. Are there any good uses for uh, sous vide caramelization? No, I don't do that to onions. Nope. I do have to step in and say you are not caramelizing sugars. You are performing the Maillard reaction on the sugars and amino acids in the onions. Even though it's called a caramelized onion, but caramelization is not a significant part of its uh, flavor profile. Oh, yes, but with McGee, but just to clarify what you just said, what McGee was doing was low temperature breakdown of actual sugar, right? So, like, let's separate. So McGee was doing caramelization where, like, the sugar was breaking down and the fructose was actually, you know. Because fructose will go brown and start caramelizing at a low temperature. Anyway, so uh, you're saying onions, not caramelization. Harold's saying caramelization. I'm going to say that onions need to be cooked so that they can evaporate their moisture. Well, yeah, and some of that sulfur. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are there any other good uses for sous vide caramelization? And what Ariel is telling you is, is that no. That's what you're saying? Uh, actually, it can be, it can be, I haven't done this in a while, so, like, I don't have, like, you know, numbers off the top of my head, but, like, um, caramelizing milk that way, so, like, not, not, like, dulce de leche, where it's, like, condensed milk and super sugary, but actual, just, like, milk in a sous vide bag, uh, can be quite cool. Mm, all right, yeah, I have not done that. 
El Butts wants to know uses for the Spinzol 2.0, but we'll do an update on that maybe next week and talk about the Spinzol 2.0, which is on the water right now. And in fact, I think the ones that are going to the Asian market might be shipping direct from Asia almost as we speak. Uh, Chris says, I'm in the market for a stand mixer for the first time for home use. It would be great to hear what would be some essential properties, principles of stand mixers to guide my choice based on our experience. Do I still, me, Dave, like the Encarcerum? Yeah, I love it. The one thing it's not the best at is a brioche. So if you make a lot of brioche, I would say go Bosch, but you're in Munich, Germany, Chris, get the Bosch. You're in Munich, Germany, get the Bosch. The Bosch is a great mixer. It's fantastic. Why would you spend extra money to get a KitchenAid shipped to you from the United States just so that you could have a subpar mixer? Now, I like the KitchenAid for some things. KitchenAid, by the way, great at brioche, but the Bosch is an all-around great mixer, and it's made in your country. I love the Ankarsrum. That's the one I have on my counter now having had a couple of years with Bosch and most of my life with the KitchenAid. Anyone else Anyone else had experience with more than one stand mixer? Just so your opinions don't have any meaning. No, but do you like your KitchenAid? Or, I, mean, like, I love the KitchenAid in certain ways, but do you like the mess it makes? No. Do you like the fact that the beater doesn't touch the bottom of the... Uh, no, that annoys me, yeah. That yeah. Like, weird plastic thing to put on the outside to stop yeah. the mess doesn't actually work. Like when the flour flies out in your face all over the kitchen, are you like, oh, ho, 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 ho. You love that? Love it. Yeah, it's or great. when you're making butter in it, do you like when the when it breaks and the and the whey sprays everywhere? Yeah, yeah you love yeah, it, right? Great. Yeah, it's fun to clean up. I used to love all the saran wrap that we would put around the thing to stop God. that from happening. Yeah. Or you could just make butter, or or El Butts, you could just make butter and a freaking spins all. Uh, well, listen, Nick, thanks for coming on. Thanks, thanks for, for bringing me. Elton John's fantastic uh, yellow brick marmite over here, and uh, Ariel, thanks for coming on. We'll have you on again uh, very close to release date. Hey, cooking issues.